It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson's nomination is historic. If confirmed, she'll be the first black woman and the first public defender to sit on the Supreme Court. I am here standing on the shoulders of generations of Americans who never had anything close to this kind of opportunity. Her confirmation hearings were supposed to be dignified. After all, she'd been confirmed to three positions by the same committee and just last year to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, considered the second most powerful court in the country. Yet Judge Jackson had to fend off an orchestrated barrage of Republican attacks centering on race and crime, accusing her of being soft on crime, unduly lenient in sentencing child pornography defendants, an advocate for terrorists, and a proponent of critical race theory. Here are Republican Senators Tom Cotton, Josh Hawley, and Ted Cruz. You twisted the law and you rewrote it so you could cut the sentence of a drug kingpin. That's what you did, Judge. Respectfully, Senator, I disagree. Is it your view that society is too hard on sex offenders? Do do you agree with this book that is being taught with kids that that babies are racist? My guest is Tamiko Brown-Nagan, dean of the Harvard Radcliffe Institute and a professor at Harvard Law School. Were the attacks on her judicial record fair, and how well did she answer them? The senators certainly should question nominees about their judicial records. And so one would expect that senators would question a district court judge who had sentenced some 100 people about her sentences. And one would expect the senators to be interested in the work that she did on the sentencing commission. However, I do think that some of the senators were playing to an audience well outside of the hearing room. They were talking to the American people, asking questions to which they did not actually want answers because they kept cutting Judge Jackson off or interrupting her. They were using the hearing as a political platform. And I do think that by the end and yesterday in particular, it was disappointing to see the way in which the nominee was being treated and really just used for political purposes. Now, It is true 
that this has happened before. She's not the first nominee to become embroiled in the politics that is inevitable when the high stakes of a Supreme Court appointment arise. But I do think that there were questions about critical race theory and the policies of the Georgetown Day School and all sorts of things that were just beyond the pale. And the irony is that some of the Republican senators are so concerned about judges exercising restraint and making policy, but the overwhelming majority of some of the questions were just policy questions, asking her to divulge policy preferences that she really had no business divulging in that setting. And she repeatedly said, you know, this is political. I'm not going to talk about these political topics. The other thing that was striking as I reflected on the hearing was that the histrionics contrasted with the judge's self-restraint and discipline and grace probably proved a point that the Republicans who were engaging in those histrionics did not mean to prove. And that is that she has a fantastic temperament and the kind of temperament that we certainly hope to see in Supreme Court justices. There were a lot of questions about her judicial philosophy. She said that she doesn't have a philosophy per se. She has a methodology. Should a judge have a specific judicial philosophy? Well, at some point, it seemed as if they were splitting hairs. What was really going on there was that the senators wanted to know if Judge Jackson is a judicial activist, if she subscribes to what is called the living constitution, as opposed to philosophies that would constrain how judges use their power. And they wouldn't actually credit the answer that she gave time and time again, which is that she is independent, that she does favor restraint, that she seeks to stay in her lane. So she did answer the question, but again, it seemed that many of the senators were trying to make a point that her responses weren't actually lending themselves to. There was not a senator who called into question Judge Jackson's qualifications to sit on the court. How will her presence on the court make a difference? Well, no one called into question her qualifications because they were beyond reproach. She was eminently qualified, and I am pleased that we've reached this moment when an African-American woman and one with such a varied practice background will ascend to the U.S. Supreme Court. In terms of what she will offer to the court, as I wrote in an opinion piece, I think that her background in the criminal legal system is really important. Her background as a district court judge is vitally important. She shares that with Justice Sotomayor, that she has. I think that's important because as anyone who has spent time in the United States District Courts knows, you see every type of American walk through the doors of the federal courthouse. And I think that particularly given the critique that the court is elite and in some sense elitist, It's great to have another person join the court who has had deep and rich experiences with people from all walks of life who are engaged with our legal system. I think that her experience in a variety of ways 
will add to those already represented on the court and will enrich in, I hope, the deliberations that the judges have. Thanks, Dean. That's D'Amico Brown-Nagan, Dean of the Harvard Radcliffe Institute. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common... It's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Republicans had promised that Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson's Supreme Court confirmation hearings would not be a political circus. Yet Senator Lindsey Graham yelled and stormed out of the hearing. Senator Ted Cruz read from children's books about racist babies. And Senator Tom Cotton all but accused Jackson of lying. In one particularly heated exchange, the committee chair, Democratic Senator Dick Durbin, tried to get Cruz to stop talking two minutes past his allotted time. Even banging the gavel didn't help. Allow her to answer the question, Chairman Durbin. Thank you, Chairman Durbin. Why do you not want the American people to know what happened in the Stewart case or any of these cases? Chairman Durbin, I've never seen the chairman refuse to allow a witness to answer a question. You can bang it as loud as you want. Well, I can just tell you, at some point, you have to follow the rules. Judge Jackson faced about 22 hours of questioning with equanimity, never even raising her voice. But tears streamed down her face when Democratic Senator Cory Booker spoke of her nomination as shattering another glass ceiling. Nobody's going to steal that joy. You have earned this spot. You are worthy. You are a great American. Joining me to discuss the hearings and their import is Jessica Levinson, a professor at Loyola Law School. The Republicans said that wasn't going to be a circus. 
I don't know what happened to their promises. What did you think about the whole atmosphere of the hearings? Well, I don't think it was a circus. I think in some ways it was a horror show. I mean, the idea that she was questioned over and over again on this baseless allegation that she's soft on people who violate child pornography laws was astonishing to me. This is something that began as a fringe theory about a week ago, and it really garnered a number of senators' attention and time in the questioning. And Judge Jackson said over and over and explained in so many different ways that there is no there there to those allegations. So, yes, it was different from the hearings for now Justice Kavanaugh in so many ways. But I also think it's curious that Senate Republicans kept reminding us of the Kavanaugh hearings because it makes us remember that he was, in fact, accused of sexual assault. And I don't think that's helping their argument here. Well, also, as I recall, the hearings for Justice Amy Coney Barrett were pretty tame. Exactly. I mean, every hearing, obviously, is so much a product of what's happening outside the Senate chambers. But the hearings for now Justice Barrett were, in comparison, I think, quite tame. Obviously, she had a different Senate. Obviously, we were in a different moment. But in some ways, I think the stakes felt higher in that confirmation hearing because she was replacing a justice, Justice Ginsburg, who had an ideology very different from hers. And time was really of the essence in that case because people were already voting. I think they were already sending back early voting ballots when now Justice Barrett was going through her confirmation process. As you mentioned, crime seemed to be the focus of the Republicans' attacks. The last time a Supreme Court justice was subjected to so many questions about crime was the late Thurgood Marshall. So was it a dog whistle? I think it was two things. One, it's hard to escape the reality that Judge Jackson, likely future Justice Jackson, and the late Justice Thurgood Marshall both faced intense questioning with respect to whether or not they're soft on crime. Now, they also both practice law in different ways than we've seen before. For instance, Justice Jackson would be the first former federal public defender. So to that extent, I understand some of the questions about her views on the criminal justice system and criminal defendants. Having said that, I think many of the questions were frankly disingenuous and, yes, I think nodding to certain elements of the party in harping on this idea that she's comfortable letting people out of federal prison and, frankly, trying to tie her to her clients, both when she was a federal public defender and when she was in private practice. People understand well, the senators who were questioning her very well understand the role of lawyers and why they're important in an adversarial system and that lawyers do not have the same views as their clients in so many different situations. So it did feel that some of the questioning is to be expected when you have the first former federal public defender who's going to be on the Supreme Court. Some of the questions I thought were outside the bounds. What about the questions on critical race theory? Would Senator Cruz have asked that of a white candidate? Well, it's hard to get into Senator Cruz's head and his strategy. But no, I think all of the questions that you heard, particularly from Senator Cruz about critical race theory, would not have been asked of a non-minority candidate, of a Caucasian nominee. And I think that's really 
brings to bear the fact that she had this very difficult role where she had to not just do what every other nominee does, which is she had to answer the questions but not commit herself to any particular position, but answer in a way that demonstrates that she's showing us she has a command of all of the issues. But she also doesn't want to look too upset or like she's too easily thrown off of her game, like she doesn't have a proper judicial temperament. And I frankly think that the bar for her when it comes to judicial temperament is very different. Let's imagine that she had done anything close to what Justice Kavanaugh did in his confirmation hearing. I think we would have a very different discussion. And yes, I think we can't escape the conclusion that questions about critical race theory are very much targeted almost exclusively to nominees and candidates who are minorities. The only real news I saw coming out of this was that she said she was going to recuse herself on the upcoming Supreme Court case involving Harvard. Is that a good decision? What does that show? So I think Judge Jackson's statement that she would recuse herself from the affirmative action cases that are going to come before the court, at least with respect to the one coming out of Harvard, shows that she has respect for the process, respect for appearances. We know that when it comes to a judicial code of conduct and a code of ethics, that it is suggestive but not mandatory when it comes to Supreme Court justices. So she really can decide whether or not to recuse herself. I think that her decision to say, yes, I would because of my connections is the type of decision that helps bolsters people's confidence in the decisions that Supreme Court justices make. We don't know if she will similarly recuse herself from the companion case dealing with the University of North Carolina. I heard some Republican senators flat out say that she was lying, that they didn't believe what she was saying. They said that you know her decisions were wrong. Some of them almost yelled and they interrupted her repeatedly. It seemed like they weren't giving her the respect, the proper respect that she's due. I think in so many overt and less overt ways and more implicit ways, there were a number of senators who, as Senator Dick Durbin said, conducted themselves in a way that's beneath the Senate. Or maybe this is the new Senate. Maybe this is now how senators conduct themselves. But there were so many ways in which either the questions that were posed to her, which weren't really questions, were just speeches that misstated her record or baseless accusations, the constant interruptions, or even in some cases referring to Judge Jackson as her, as opposed to a more respectful the witness or Judge Jackson. I think even in the way that some of the senators held themselves when they were asking her questions and the tone that they used, there were so many ways, big and small, that I think some of the senators did conducted themselves in a way that I think we could conclude is degrading. Thanks for being on the show, Jessica. That's Professor Jessica Levinson of Loyola Law School. And that's it for this edition of the Bloomberg Law Show. Remember, you can always get the latest legal news on our Bloomberg Law podcast. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at www.bloomberg.com slash podcast slash law. And remember to tune into the Bloomberg Law Show every weeknight at 10 p.m. Wall Street time. I'm June Grosso, and you're listening to Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha 
for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.